0: Please take your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. As Pastor Bill mentioned a little while ago, this is a passage, or this is a book that we'll be dealing with for next several weeks on Sunday evenings, uh, examining what Paul said to the church uh, at Colossae. So Colossians chapter 1, before we begin uh, reading this passage, I want to tell you the story of a church. And it's the story of, of this church at Colossae. Uh, Colossae was a a small town, and uh, it had been a, a booming, kind of bustling town at one point uh, in its existence. But after some time, uh, some bigger towns arose around it, and so Colossae kind of shrank a little. And it was a small town in the midst of some other larger ones uh, that were around it. It was a typical pagan town uh, of the time. And Within that town, there was a man by the name of Epaphras. Epaphras, uh, we don't know much about him, but this man Epaphras at some point left his home there in Colossae and traveled to the city of Ephesus. Ephesus about 80 miles away. is kind of the, the big city of the region. Uh, so it's about the distance from here to, uh, to Lexington. And so Epaphras went there, and while he was there in Ephesus, he met a man by the name of Paul. And so, sitting under Paul and hearing and learning from him, he heard the gospel. Epaphras became a believer, and so then he went back to his town where there really weren't any other believers there. And he went, and the, the gospel spread from Epaphras to the other people in the town. And before long, there was a band of believers there in this little town, Colossae. And so, through God's providence, so after Uh, after a short time, there began to be this small church that developed in Colossae. And after time, this church began to to grow and began to be fruitful, and God just really blessed this church. Things just went well uh, as they went. They were growing. They were growing in holiness. They were growing numerically, and fruit was being born through them. And so we could say this is a church where things were going well, and that everything was was pretty good. Then, after a little while, uh, we learned the letter that there was a philosophy that began to creep in. That's what the word that Paul uses there in Colossians two a a philosophy. Evidently, there was some kind of false teaching that arose among them that was presenting a challenge to the church. And so Paul sends this letter to this church at Colossae, not not a Uh, church that he's ever been to, but because he has heard how the Lord has been blessing them, and he has heard about the challenge that they're facing with this false teaching. And so he sends this letter to them to encourage them. Now I I tell you this background, this story, um, so that we can better understand the book of Colossians, but then also I think there are some parallels that we can draw. Colossians is a small town, Somerset, small town. Grace Baptist Church, doing very well. Church at Clossy, doing very well. When we look at that church, it seems like everything was rolling along very well. This is a church that God was blessing. And now if we look to ourselves here at Grace Baptist Church, we can look and see that God has blessed abundantly. We have seen God work in powerful ways among us in just these past uh, four and a half years or so. And you can look back and count way after way after way that God has blessed. We have seen numerical growth, we have seen people growing in understanding of the word, and you can probably look at your life and see how God has grown your understanding of the word and your love for Him. We can see we can see how the gospel has been going forth from here, uh, the various ministries that we've done, even across the world uh, into Peru. So things are going well here at Grace, and we saw just this morning one of God's blessings: how He has provided land for us, and that land dirt is being moved around on it uh, in preparation for a building. But like the church at Claussie, we're not perfect. We still aren't a perfect church. There's still sin that each and every one of us struggle with. We're not there yet. There's things that that we face as challenges as a church. Church at Claussie faced this philosophy that we'll talk about later as we deal with it we face a philosophy that's challenged to us as well. Think about everything that this world says to us. This world presents a philosophy, a way of thinking, a worldview that's totally opposite of what Scripture says. A worldview that tells us that, that all truth is relative. A worldview that tells us to just love possessions. That's what your life is to be about. A, a worldview that says that just, just try to be good and that's good enough. And this is a worldview that's, that's bombarding us day after day in everything that we face. So I would say that, that we're in some ways very similar to the church at Colossae. So, what can we learn from this church? And what can we learn from this letter? Paul sends them this as an answer what they're to do, what they're to think, what they're to be about. The one thing that Colossians is about more than any other is about the greatness and the preeminence of Christ. This book points us to Christ as being above all, greater than all. So it's as if he is saying, look, you are doing well. God has blessed you. You have some challenges that you're facing. But here's the one thing that I want you to remember. Here's the one thing that needs to take your focus, your attention, your heart, and that is the absolute supremacy of Christ in every single thing. You want your church to be impacted and affected and to grow and to be what God has called it to be? Keep your eyes on Christ. You want your relationship to be what God has called them to be? Keep your eyes on Christ. You want your marriage to be what God has called it to be? Keep your eyes on Christ. Keep him preeminent in every single thing. Thing. and that is the overall message that Paul says to the people at Colossae don't forget the supremacy of Christ in everything, his majesty his worth, nothing else compares to him that's part of the message that I think that we can take in this series that we're going to be doing on Sunday nights with Colossians we're doing well God is blessed in such abundant ways but here's the thing We need to be careful, Grace Baptist. We need to be careful that we don't get distracted. We need to be careful that we don't take our eyes off of Christ. Don't take our eyes off of Christ because things are going well and we kind of just run on autopilot. Even things that are going on in our body that are good, like the building. It would be easy for us to take our eyes off of Christ and just kind of focus on a building, If we do that, we are in trouble. Keep our eyes on Christ. This is going to be the message of Colossians. Keep our eyes set on Christ. So with that being said, now let's look at this letter as we deal with it. Let's start at verse 1, and we're going to go through verse 8 starting off with. Remember, this is a church that's doing well. And so now, let's read Paul's letter and figure out, as us, as Grace Baptist Church, what should we do in response to how God has blessed our church and that we're doing fairly well. Listen to the word. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ Praying always for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, just as in all the world also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is faithful servant of Christ on your behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. Colossi is doing well. So how does Paul respond in light of Colossae doing well? So how should we respond, Grace Baptist Church, in light of God's blessings to us? The first thing that we're to do, and the first thing that Paul does here, is to respond in thanksgiving. Paul responds to what God has been doing among the people here with thanksgiving. And he lists out three reasons that he is giving thanks to God for what is going on there. Three reasons. So let's look look through these three reasons, uh, starting in verse 3. Notice there. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying all, always for you, verse 4, since or because we heard your faith in Christ Jesus. Paul gives thanks because of the faith that they have in Christ Jesus. Now, this is, a, this is a concept that's misunderstood in our day. When people think of faith today, they think of this kind of nebulous idea where it's just a general faith, you know, just kind of a, a hope you know, you just have a hope that everything is going to work out. I have faith that things will work out. That's not the kind of faith that Paul is talking about here. Paul is talking about a specific faith. A faith in something. Over the past several weeks... We have been uh, in Hebrews chapter 11 uh, on Sunday mornings where Pastor Bill has been preaching about that, and we have heard about the faith of all these Old Testament saints, how they trusted in God, how they put their hope in God no matter what was going on and these various circumstances that they faced. They didn't have some generic just hope that things would work out. They had a confident trust in God. And that's what we see at the church at Colossae. They had this confident trust, this confident hope in God alone. And Paul gives thanks that they have that. Now, we need to not overlook that they have faith. How many of you grew up in Somerset or somewhere uh, in the southeast? How many of you all? Uh, A good majority of us. So probably the majority of us grew up in a culture where church is kind of the norm. Everybody goes to church. You probably grew up uh, like I did where church is just part of what you do. And the family went to church. uh, In uh, the community, church is kind of a part of everything what people do. And so when we think of of, uh, this church at Colossae, we may not think of it as a big deal. Hey, they've, they've got faith in Christ. But remember what this church was and where it was. This was a typical pagan city during the time. They would have worshipped all the the Roman gods of that time. There may have been even some traditional gods that were part of that community. And the whole community there in Colossae would have been involved in just all this pagan worship. But then there was somebody who began to reject everything that His family had taught him everything that he had grown up with and began to worship only this one God. And there began to be others who rejected everything they had known before to worship this one God and this man who they claimed rose from the dead, this man who was crucified as a criminal. So don't look lightly on the fact that this group of people have faith. This was a God work in their life to raise up a people who rejected everything that they had heard before and to believe in the one true God. So Paul cries out and gives thanks that they have believed, that they have trusted in God. So he gives thanks because of their faith. And then secondly, there in verse 4, it says that he gives thanks to them, thanks to God, for the love that they have for all the saints. He gives thanks that they have love. Now, you remember, hopefully, many of you all were here last Sunday and we talked about love. So you remember from 1 Corinthians 13, we dealt with that. And love, love doesn't just mean this a feeling or just kind of a, uh, this, you know, this kind of emotion that we talked about. We talked about love being more than that. And the word that's used here is the Greek word agape. And it's the same word that's used in 1 Corinthians 13. And if you remember, we talked about that word meaning something more, something deeper in in regard to love. John MacArthur had a a good definition of this. I want you to listen to this again. He says, Love is not a feeling but a determined act of will, which always results in determined acts of self-giving. Love is the willing, joyful desire to put the welfare of others above our own. It's this determined act to do something for the well-being of another. It's this determined desire within you to do what is going to be best for the other person, to work for their spiritual good. And the church at Colossae was doing that. They were showing love for one another, and Paul had even heard of how they were showing love for one another, so he gives thanks to them that they thanks to God that they are showing love to one another. Now, I want to stop for a second because Paul does something a little weird, a little different in our minds uh, as he goes on here. He says that they have been, uh, they've been showing love to one another. They have faith in Christ. But then he gives kind of this strange reason for why they've been showing faith, why they've been showing love. And it's verse 5. He says they have shown love to one another. They've had faith because of the hope laid up for them in heaven. The hope that they have had in heaven has led them to have faith and has led them to show love for one another. Now, now how does that work? How does hope you have in heaven lead to love for one another and lead to faith? Well, let me give you a picture of how that works out. When our eyes are here, earthward, we begin to focus our eyes, our attention, our heart on the things of earth. And so when that happens, we begin to s- to think selfishly and for what we want and what we desire. And so when our eyes are set here, our desires are for our self here. But when we change our focus, change our focus to Godward, heavenward, to other world, then our eyes are taken off of the stuff here, And we are free to actually be able to think of what is going to be for the best of others rather than thinking of what do I want. And so they had set their eyes rather than on here and now, they had set their eyes on there and on God. And once that happened, they were focused on having deeper faith, trust in him because their eyes were on him. And they were had greater love for one another because their eyes weren't here and now and on what they desired, but rather on God and on their heavenly home rather than on just here. So an upward focus allows us to have a deeper faith in God and allows us to have a deeper love for one another. So Paul gives thanks that their focus has been upward and they have been loving to one another and had deeper faith in God. The third reason that Paul gives for thanksgiving, remember there was three... that. Three that we have. First one was faith. Second is love. And the third reason that Paul gives for his thanksgiving is that they've been bearing fruit. In this little town, there's a group of believers there where God has been working in the midst of a pagan culture. This little town where God has raised up some believers and those believers are growing in Christ. The fruit of the Spirit is growing in them. And there are actually other people in the town who are becoming believers. This is amazing. And so Paul gives thanks to God. Thank you, God, for the work that you're doing there, that there are actually people who are showing fruit, that fruit is coming from this. And so at the very beginning of the letter, Paul starts out just by simply giving thanks to God for what God has done. So let's stop for a second. What do we do with this? What does this mean to me and you now? Paul's just been giving thanks to, to God for the work that's been happening there at Colossi. What practical application does this have to my life and to your life? I'd say the answer is pretty simple. You need to give Thanks. God has done a work here at Grace. And if you're a believer, God has done a work in your life. And so the response to that should be giving thanks to the things that God has done for us. We have seen him work in such abundant ways here. Are we a people who are characterized by giving thanks to the things that God has done, or do we sit back and just stare and what God has done is think, "Well, that's good. Or are we a people who, when we see it happen, where we cry out and just thanksgiving to God for the amazing things that He is working among us? When was the last time that you saw God work at grace and you just cried out, "God, thank you!" Thank you for the work. That you're doing here God has been working among us so what how should we respond number one in thanksgiving in thanksgiving for the work that he has done second Paul is going to point us to the fact that we should respond in prayer look at verse 9 and listen to what he says for this reason also since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul recognizes how God has been at work among them. And so he goes to God in thanksgiving for the work that God has done there at Colossae. And then immediately he goes to God on his knees in prayer for the church at Colossae. Now, here's the thing. That is kind of opposite of the way you and I work usually. See, the way that we usually work is we go to God in prayer when things aren't going well. We tend to be the kind of folks, or at least maybe I should speak in my life, I tend to be the kind of person that can run on autopilot. Maybe you can identify with me. When things are going well, you just kind of roll with the flow. When things aren't going well, that's when you're kind of reminded, oh, I need to be praying to God right now have you ever been driving down the road and it's just kind of a nice day and it's smooth easy road and you're driving to a certain destination and when you get there you kind of think back how did I get here you kind of blanked out for the the whole of the drive and you're like I don't even remember you know half the trip have you ever done that I think I think most of us probably have because we're, kind of, we're on autopilot. We're, we're lost in a different world, and the trees are going beside us, and we're going down the road, and thank God we just got there safe because we we're on autopilot. That tends to be kind of the way that we work in our lives. Is that when things are going well, we just kind of roll with the flow and don't give much a second thought. Paul, on the other hand, turns that thinking upside down. He says, because things are going so well, my initial first reaction is to pray. Pray that God will continue the work that he is doing. Pray that he will guard you. I want you to listen to a quote from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis wrote a letter, and uh, in this letter he said, I especially need your prayers because I'm like the pilgrim in John Bunyan's tale, traveling across a plane called Ease. Everything without and many things within are marvelously well right now. He was asking for prayer because everything was going well. Here, see, here's the danger, I think. Things go well in our life, and we tend to just neglect and ignore God. And we neglect and ignore prayer. And I think that's a danger that we could face as Grace Baptist Church things go well and we get excited about the things that are going on and then it's very very easy for us to not be a prayer centered people it would be very very easy for us to sit back and see how God is working and to not be focused on prayer we are a people who are born out of prayer as Grace Baptist Church We need to be very, very cautious that we not become a people who neglect prayer. You see how God has blessed us now? Should drive us on our knees in prayer to Him. God, thank you for the work you're doing. God, please continue pouring out your grace upon us for your purpose to be done here in this town and throughout the world as we see God providing for us in this building that we're working on we should continue to thank God for the work that he is doing but we should continue to pray God may you use this for your glory and may we not sit back and just watch as God works may we be driven to be more and more prayerful as we see God blessing you blessing us so let's continue looking at this passage looking at what God says to the Apostle Paul we see here that there are two things that he prays for the people he prays number one that they will be filled with the knowledge of God's will Look there in verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He prays that they'll have the knowledge of God, knowledge of his will. Now, I don't think that he means there uh, God's secret will or God's will in making distinction between two separate choices you know when we think in our minds we got two choices we need to make two big choices maybe between this job or that job or this house or that house or whatever we go back and forth asking what is god's will in that We we get very focused on that that's not the kind of thing that he is speaking of here about god's will he's talking about the revealed will of god he says i desire that you know god's revealed will what who god is and what he desires for you. That's my prayer for you. And then he says second, uh, there in uh, in verse 10, he desires this so that you'll walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects. He prays that they will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now that word walk is is the Greek word peripeteo, and it means literally to walk around. And so basically he's saying, in everything that you do, live in a way that's worthy of God. So at home, live in a way that's worthy of God. At your job, live in a way that's worthy of God. At school, live in a way that's worthy of God. At uh, whatever it is that you're doing, do it in a manner worthy of God. Now stop and think about that for just a second. What does it mean to do something in a manner that is worthy of the Lord? Well, think for a moment. Of everything that God has done on your behalf. How he has called you out of darkness. Turned you to him. Granted you repentance. Granted you faith. Set your eyes upon him. Worked in your life. Brought you to salvation. Holds your salvation secure for eternity. Think of that. And now think. What is a manner worthy of God when i'm on the ball field what is a manner worthy of all that he has done for me when i'm at the office tomorrow morning what about when i'm staying at home with my baby was living at that moment worthy of the what he has done that is paul's prayer for them that they will live in that kind of way He prays for them that they will continue bearing fruit that they'll increase in the knowledge of God that they'll be strengthened by the power of God that they'll give thanks to the Father now what do we do with this what do we do with this think for just a minute about how we tend to pray most of the time our prayer for one another is focused on what Focused on physical needs, right? And so, most of our prayer time that we have for one another, or most of our prayer requests that we give to one another, are in regard to, regard to physical things or travel. God, please uh, protect me while I travel. Or you're saying, you know, I've got you know this doctor's visit. I'm I'm kind of worried about. Will you pray for me? Or pray for my my cousin Billy Bob because you know his his shoulders aching him or something like that. You know, that's that's a, the kind of the focus of our Uh, of how we pray for one another a lot of times. But look at how Paul prayed. Paul's prayer was centered on matters of the Spirit. Praying that they have a knowledge of God. Praying that they'll bear fruit and increase the knowledge of God, be strengthened by the power of God, give thanks to the Father. How often is that the manner of our praying for one another? Every week... We have a list of four families here in the order of worship, and I hope you've been seeing this and that you've kept this with you to pray through throughout the week. How do we? How do you pray for those four people that are listed there? Is it just kind of a, a generic "God bless that person"? Or do you pray maybe something like Paul did? Paul Paul prayed that they would. Uh, have thanksgiving, that they would bear fruit, that they would grow in the knowledge of God, and that they, would, uh, that they would do all these different things that were related to matters of the Spirit. How would you pray for the Moore family and their growth of the knowledge of God? Bill and Barbara Morgan, Rosemarie Moscarelli, and Blair Moss. How, how can we take what Paul says here, this kind of prayer... And we pray in that kind of depth for one another. you see the difference there? How might God be pleased to work among us if, if that were the heart of our prayers for one another? So I, I encourage you, thinking about the church at Colossae, church that things are going well in, Paul says, all right, in light of this, here's what here's what I say. I, I respond in thanksgiving and I respond in prayer for you. So, Grace Baptist Church, things are going well. God has blessed here. How should we respond to that? Let's give thanks. Let's give thanks to what God to God for what He has done. And let's pray. And let's pray like Paul did in this kind of prayer for one another and prayer for our body as a whole. Let's pray. God, I ask that you will work among us. Work among us in a powerful way that shows your glory. God, I pray that you will deepen our knowledge of you to give us a deeper hunger for you and for your word. God, I pray that you'll make us a people who bear fruit. God, I pray that you will make us a people who are strengthened by your power. I pray you'll make us a people of thanksgiving. I pray that we will walk in a manner that's worthy of you. And God, above all, Set our hearts, set our eyes on Christ. His greatness. His preeminence. His majesty. May that be the focus of our lives. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.